0: It is good to be here this morning. Uh, I pray that uh, you have felt the power of the Holy Spirit through this entire morning, uh, just as I have. It's just, it's awesome to be able to, to celebrate with Josh and with Jamie and with the grandparents and family at the, just this public confession and display that, that, that Jesus reigns. And I pray that that is the theme in all of our lives, is that Jesus reigns. I am excited to be here today. Uh, I'm excited to be able to, to to preach. There, we've had some visitors over the last month that have never heard the preacher of this church preach. Uh, so hopefully, they come back next week after they have heard him uh, preach. Um, but it is good to be here this morning. Uh, for those of you who have heard me speak more than once, you know that I love to fish. More, more, more specifically, I love to trout fish. And if I'm being honest with you this morning, this morning Bert, uh, I'm sort of fighting against being in countdown mode. Uh, because on September the 1st, at roughly exactly uh, 6 a.m. in the morning, me and, and Randy Sturm and my youngest son, Kendrick, and my dad are headed west young and old men uh, alike, uh, to go to Montana to fish. And I'm fighting against being in countdown mode. I'm fighting against being uh, worth anything during these next 10 days. And I'm not the only one. If you hear a timer go off at the top of the hour in 11 minutes uh, from the sound booth back there, it's because Randy is in countdown mode too, and he has this reminder set uh, to, to keep him just, okay, just 10 more days and, and eight more hours and 32. Uh, so I love to fish. Uh, And as I was putting this series together, just this short series, I I had a couple uh, options or things that I was considering for the title of this series. The first one that I had was Confessions of a Delusional Fisherman. Uh, Because you know if you're married to somebody who likes to fish, who loves to fish, that they can often be just that delusional. Delusional. But then there's also a very fine line between delusional and committed. So this series was almost called The Confessions of a Committed Fisherman. But to be sure, fishermen are a peculiar group of people. Fishermen look for every opportunity to go fish. We may be too sick to go to the office but a trout stingray might just be exactly what I need to pull me back into good health. Fishermen know their trade. They know the right lure, the right bait. If you're a fly fisherman, you know what it means to match the hatch. You want the insect, the fake insect that you're putting on the end of your line to match what the fish are eating. You want to match the hatch. You know what you're doing to catch fish. Fishermen practice. I have had neighbors drive by us, our house on the road and they do a double take because I'm out in the front yard of my house with my fly rod practicing and there's no water around anywhere. Fishermen practice their trade. Fishermen think about fishing constantly. They talk about fishing constantly. They rejoice in other people's catches. It's not just if we catch something, if we're on the same trip with somebody uh, and they catch a nice fish, in some way we are halfway responsible for them catching that fish. So we rejoice with them when they catch. Uh, Fishermen go all out for a catch. If you've seen A River Runs Through It or uh, The River Why or any other fishing movie, you know there's always a scene in these movies where a big fish is hooked. And the fisherman will go down the river up with water up to his neck through the rapids in order to land that fish. Every fisherman dreams of that. Every fisherman dreams of that type of adventure, that type of scene. For fishermen, their other role models, their heroes are other fishermen, I've had the privilege a couple of times to fish with, with Mike Miller, and when you when you trout fish, you sort of leapfrog each other up or down the stream. And I know that when I got behind Mike, I just sort of uh, took it in, because you can watch me fish, and I'll teach you real well how to get your lure, your fly uh, out of the tree behind you. But like when Mike Miller's fly fishing, it's a thing of beauty. He has Brad Pitt has nothing on Mike Miller on a trout stream. It is beautiful, and you just, you're in awe of it. You fishermen admire other fishermen. Fishermen, by definition, are all of those things that we talked about. Otherwise, if you're not all of those things, you're just a guy who likes to go and sit by a pond and put a hook and a bobber on and maybe a worm if you can't if get somebody else to put it on for you and fish occasionally. So the title of this message is simply and concisely, Confessions of a Fisherman, because fisherman encompasses all of those other delusional and committed things. But so that you don't think this is just a sermon about Tony Foreman, his hobby of choice, I want to remind us that Jesus told his disciples that if they were to follow after him, he would make them fishers of men that meant something to them. It meant something specifically to them. And it means something, or it should mean something specifically to us in 2021 as well. It means that if we, if we claim Jesus as our Savior, if we rejoice in the fact that He has saved us, it means that we're going to act a certain way. It means that we're going to live a certain way because we have a certain purpose. Christians, by nature, are fishermen, and Christians, too, are a peculiar people. Christians look for every opportunity to fish, to share the message of the gospel. Christians know their trade. It's not about having the right bait or the right lure, but it's about being ready in a given situation, in nurturing a relationship, so that given the opportunity, you're able to take that person from the context and the culture and the environment they are in and share with them what Jesus Christ has done for you and what he can do for them as well. Christians know their trade. They know what they believe in and why they believe it. Christians practice Christians think about constantly what they should be doing. We should talk about constantly. We should rejoice in other people's catches like we did this morning. We celebrate with a mom and a dad and a family who are rejoicing with the angels in heaven uh, over three beautiful daughters and son of God who have went public with their faith. And Christians should go all out for the catch we, we, we should anticipate and look for the, that scene where we're willing to do whatever is necessary, whatever is needed to hold on and to be able to keep that relationship, keep that connection with those who desperately need to know who Jesus is. See, you cannot separ- separate who a Christian is from what a Christian does. Otherwise, you're just a person who occasionally likes to dabble in this God thing. See, Christians and churches by nature are fishermen. It's simple, not easy, but it's simple and concise. Who we are and what we should be doing. But we have over time allowed our faith and our practice and the type of church that we, that we have become. And I'm going to say we and our a lot today. And because I want you to think of this on several different levels, actually three different levels. When I say we or our, I want us to think about the church global, the Christian church global and what we have allowed ourselves to become. Then I also want us to think of we local church, FBCW. How have we maybe strayed off of the path that we're supposed to be on? And then when I say we also, we're going to include the singular in that. What have I done or what am I doing to either Help or hinder the mission, the commission that Jesus has placed on me. So I want you to think on those three levels. And when you leave today, if you didn't get one when you came in, make sure that you get a copy of the one sheet. Now, if you prefer to have it on your tablet or on your phone, that's fine. But we want no, no roadblocks, no hindrances in you having that one sheet because over the next couple of weeks... We are going to take steps into this big, grand walk that we're going to take as a church together. But it starts with you. It starts with me. It starts with the singular and then expands through our families, through our care groups, through this church. So please, please, please join us on that journey. You see, because we, over time, we have allowed our faith and our practice and the type of church we are to be divided. Someone believed that someone veered off course, so, so they took it upon themselves or their group to correct that. And we see that all throughout history. That's why today you sit in a, a, a Baptist church. And down the road, there's a Methodist church. And across the river, there's a Church of Christ. And a little bit further, there's another kind of church and another kind of church. Not that we, like, matter-of-factly say, I don't like those people. I'm taking my ball. We're going to do something else. But because I truly believe this, that the origination of denominations were men and women trying to do their gut-level best to follow Jesus Christ. But sometimes we follow things that maybe aren't primary. So we have Methodist and Pentecostal and Church of Christ and Baptist. And not just Baptist, but we have American Baptist, we have Southern Baptist, we have Independent Baptist, we have Independent Fundamental Baptist. And I, had, I shared a suite with a guy in college who every Sunday when we left to go to church, he was waiting for his church to start because it started after ours. And every Sunday he went to Bedside Baptist. And I could never find that in the phone book or any place else. But that's where he went every Sunday. He's now a very faithful and successful preacher. I just thought that's sort of funny. But we, we separate not just in denominations, but within denominations, we separate over music style, over service time, over service locations, over dress uh, and, and personal preference. You know, We see it all throughout history, across the world, and it continues today. And I think sometimes... If we're honest, we can look at this body of believers that we love, and we can say that it still happens here as well. Now, one of the biggest ways in which the church does this is that we have morphed the Great Commission into something that's a little bit more manageable for us through reducing the very words of our Savior. We take Jesus' far-reaching words in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, and we whittle it down into something that's easier for us to hold on to. It's easier for us to grasp and and to manage. We we won't admit this, but we do it in our practice. You, You can look across churches and just see this tendency towards one way or another, We have taken the grand, great commission, and we have whittled it and reduced it to the not-so-great commission, and it happened by us just altering one, the smallest of the words in that commission. Our not-so-great commission sometimes reads, "'Go therefore or make disciples.'" We, we have divided this up into uh, the, the church is either missional or it's building strong disciples within its own walls. The church is either going or it's making. The church is either taking the message and spreading it or we have circled the wagons and, and we're teaching, teaching, teaching just for the accumulation of knowledge. We have, uh, we have taken that, not, that great commission and, and made it something, we, we turn the focus from an ever-expanding outward look to something that protects and isolates and alienates us from a world that desperately needs us to go to them. Now, please, don't get mad at me. Don't check out, don't rationalize, but I encourage you to lean into this. Because church, I wouldn't be sharing this with you if I wasn't convicted of this myself. And I wouldn't be sharing this with you if I didn't love the church passionately, if I didn't love this church passionately. And and I wouldn't be bringing this up if I didn't believe in the future of the church, that it is great, that the future of this church is great. So just look intently with me for a few minutes and try to step into the, to the, the path that, that I want us to, to walk in for just a little bit. You see, because the church may not realize it, it may not have planned it, and for many in the church we, we still refuse to accept it, but there are ramifications for us stepping out of the great commission that God has given us uh, that, 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 that fragments it into either making disciples or bringing more people into the kingdom. Just as a side note, several years ago, there was a group of pastors who did this series called The Elephant Room. Uh, And and in that elephant room, they would would bring two, the room was full of pastors. So that may not sound interesting to you, uh, but it it sort of does to me. But they would bring in pastors that were all over the place theologically. And they would have them sit across each other from a table to talk about the elephant in the room. So this person would have one stance on something, this person would have another stance, and they, believe it or not, would have a civilized conversation about their differences. And there would be a moderator there who, who would keep asking questions. And then the rest of the pastors who weren't involved in this face-to-face conversation could then weigh in. One of the things that they talked about was exactly what we're talking about today. Can, should a church focus on making disciples Or should a church focus on reaching the lost? And you know what the conversation was, or what the decision was at the end with all those pastors? It's not an either or. It's a both and. And church, we need to grasp a hold of that because there are big consequences when we divide the the mission of the church. And did you know that there are over 200 different denominations in the U.S. alone? 200. Expand that to the world, 45,000 different Christian denominations across this globe. We we lose focus when we start just to, to say it's either this or this, and we start to fight with one another, and when we start to fight with one another, whether it's our church against that church or that church saying something about this church, or whether it's me saying something about you or you saying something about me, you know what that does to the world? It makes them just shake their head and say, why in the world would I want a part of that? I don't need that. You guys say you're all about love and, and forgiveness, and you can't love and forgive each other. So we erect roadblocks and barriers. We are seeing our young people church leave the church in ridiculous numbers. You've heard me, you've heard Scott, you've heard Gretchen, you you heard Brett, you, you've heard different deacons and speakers give statistics about the number of, of the percentage of our children who are leaving the church once they, they reach Uh, college age, by their second year of college. You know what is a big factor, contributing factor to that? The fact that we have failed them. We, We have been so focused on maintaining the mansion that we haven't shared and instilled in them the passion for a lost world that desperately needs Jesus. So do you know what they do? Because they want purpose in their lives, they go looking for that purpose someplace else. And they serve and they use their energies in places where, in their mind, their passion and their purpose and their energy really make a difference. We have failed a generation. We have become inward focused and we've made it an us versus them mentality. We think that we're all in and spreading the gospel when we have a Zach Brady or a Pete Stewart or a Pete Bell. Who are, who are doing our work for us. We, we rationalize our way out of dedicating a few hours or sweating a, c- a couple pounds of sweat to help people in our community, and we leave it to a few other people to pick up the work. We've allowed ourselves to divide the purpose and the passion of the local church. We truly believe in our practice, far too often that we can either be a church that is focusing on maturing disciples or winning lost people instead of realizing that it has our job to do both. The Great Commission gives us that. Go and make. The truth is, well, let's say this. It's been over the last half a century that there's been this branch of, uh, of churches who, who desire to become missional. It's like 50 years ago, somebody woke up and he said, you know what? The church should be going. So, so there's, you can spend a lot of money, a lot of time. You can go to conferences. You can buy books. You can listen to podcasts. You can watch YouTube and you can watch all this stuff about how the church should be missional. And it's approach. like it's a brand new thing. That all of a sudden, this has become something. The church has fulfilled uh, the, the the one commitment, so let's go on to something else. And it's like it's this new thing, and it becomes an identifier. Just like the, the name on our door, FBCW, or FUMC, First United Methodist Church of, of Marietta or Kalamazoo. Uh, it, it's like this new moniker for us that we want to be missional. When church, if we are honest with ourselves, the church is and has always been missional. You see, missional ought not merely describe a certain segment of churches. It matter-of-factly defines every church. There's no getting around it. It it is uh, what we are. It's by very definition, the Great Commission, this is who we are. A church is missional. So, it's redundant to say, be a missional church, Because a church should be missional, and I'll say this, I'll go a step further, that if a church, if we are not missional, we are not a church. We are a club. We are a group of buddies hanging out together because we share the same hobby. We occasionally like to dabble in this God thing. God has always planned for his people to go. You can go all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2 where where God said, let's make man in our own image. And in his first words to Adam and Eve "We're, we're, we're we're, were to, you are to go and fill the earth. You are to go and image me. Go, multiply, fill the earth, image me. And you see it not happen because you see the Fall. They took their eyes off of what God God told them to do. You see a little bit later in in Genesis chapter 9 that after God destroyed the earth with a flood and Noah and his family hit hit dry ground and he opens the door and sends them out, what does God say to Noah and, and, and that group who are going to replenish the earth? He says, go be fruitful and fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth. God says, image me. Go image me and fill the earth. And then they didn't listen. And the Tower of Babel happened where one weekend they didn't have anything to do. So, they said, you know what we could do? we could build a tower just to show how awesome we are. And they congregated at one place instead of spreading And then God appeared, and he spoke with a 75-year-old Abraham, and he said these words in Genesis chapter 12, I will make you a great nation, 75 years old, no sons, couldn't have kids, he says this to Abraham, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. God is saying to old Abraham, go, fill, be a blessing. Go and image me. You see this in Moses. And Moses brought 12 spies together, and he said, go see what God has given us. Go see this land that he has given us so that we can go and take possession of it. What happens? Ten of them come back and say, we can't go. Those guys are big. We are like grasshoppers in their eye. There's no way we can do this. Because they didn't listen to God. Forty years of wandering. An entire generation had to die off before God would give his people what he had promised them. Roughly 500 years after Abraham, through the prophet Isaiah, God's words are put out there again. In Isaiah 43, he says, Fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are my witnesses and the servant that I have chosen. God says through Isaiah, go. I am with you. God's plan has always been to go and make more God lovers as you go. All throughout human history, When the people of God have failed to worship and witness more boldly than the world around them, the message of the world overtakes the mission of God. And we see and feel and live in the horrendous consequences flood, forced oppression, forced dispersion, captivity, slavery, division, all because the people of God didn't live as the people of God. And when Jesus comes onto the scene, it's no different. Jesus, multiple times, not just in Matthew 28, not just in Acts 1, says, go. Remember in Luke chapter 10, 70 disciples, Jesus has, and he sends them out, and he says, go. Take my message out to the world that needs it. In Matthew 28, our marching orders, the Great Commission, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, go, and I'm going to be with you. As you go to your neighbor's house, as you go to your, your, your friend's house across the state, as you go across the globe, I'm going with you. Go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them all that I have taught and given to you. And to back up a little bit, we can see in John chapter 15 where, where Jesus talks about this same thing. It's like a, a precursor uh, to the Great Commission. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to to open it to to John chapter 15. And in this, I want you, as we read through this, a very familiar story for a lot of us. As we read through this, I want you to lean in and pay attention to the Great Commission language that you hear tucked in these verses. I believe that these verses are powerful. They're beautiful and they're powerful. And I want you just to listen to the words of Jesus Christ for just a few minutes, not me, not Scott, not our deacons, but Jesus Christ alone, straight from his mouth. Chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by by itself, unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Sounds a whole lot like go and make. Produces makes much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather them, throw them in the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Church, quit thinking of God. Think, Quit thinking of Jesus as this killjoy who just wants to smash every amount of happiness in your life. From the mouth of the Savior himself, I have come that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Not just a little bit of happiness on Friday afternoon when you're leaving work, but so that your joy can be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you slaves anymore because a slave does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you that you should go out and produce fruit. Sounds a whole lot like Matthew 28, 19 and 20. I have have appointed you that you should go out and produce fruit, and that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask in the name of, in the, ask the Father in my name, He will give you. This is what I commanded you: love one another. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, they would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but because I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute, persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name, because they don't know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. Now they have no excuse for their sin. The one who hates me also hates my father. If I had not done the works among them that no one else has done, they would not have sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But this has happened, so that the statement written in their Scripture might be fulfilled, they who hate, they hated me for no reason. And then listen to this. This sounds eerily similar to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But when the counselor comes the one who will send you from the send to you the one i will send to you from the father the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father he will testify about me you also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning you see the great commission wasn't just something that jesus slammed on the disciples right before he took off to heaven he didn't just say hey hey by the way here's this and then bolt for heaven he had been preparing them for this all through uh, his three years with him. And in a time where things are getting difficult for Jesus, when he can feel for sure the pressure that is, about, that is coming his way, as he gets ready to endure being betrayed by one of his closest, by, by being falsely accused, by going through this horrendous, made-up, illegal trial, as his body is being prepared to be beaten for you, This is what he is teaching his disciples. This is why I came, so that you and me, so that you abiding in me can go out and you can produce fruit, because that's what you were created for. This week and next in this short series… And then what Scott will lead you through the three weeks after that as he journeys through Hebrews chapter 12, looking at, your, looking at what holiness looks like, uh, looking at, uh, in, in, inside on you, it's going to prepare us for where we go uh, in, after that. Because we're going to take a hard, hard look at the short book of Titus and first and second Timothy as we desire and attempt to more perfectly image our Savior individually and collectively as a faith family. But before we can look collectively, we need to look individually. So this week, please, please, please make sure you're engaging with that one sheet. You may read some questions where you don't like your, after reading it, you don't like your pastoral team so much, but focus. Lean into that have tough conversations with yourself and with God about what you could be doing and what you need to quit doing that is dividing the, the commission that God has given to us. This week, He we wants you to, the, to wrestle with the question, what is keeping you from being a fisherman? Not a trout fisherman, not a bass fisherman, not a catfish fisherman, but a fisher of men. What is hindering you from becoming a fisherman? Now, be honest with yourself because you say, oh, I love to fish. I, I, I love to, yeah, but, but sometimes we love to fish means, hey, I just want to get away from everybody for a little bit and just watch a bobber go up and down in the pond. No, that's, that's escaping from something. We have been called for something. We have been saved from sin. We have been saved for a mission that God has placed on us as His church. So this week, are you a fisherman or someone who merely fishes occasionally?